Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. As we give the shear this morning, at the end of the month of Tishrei, in the new Hebrew year of 5784, October the 12th, 2023, our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael are at war after they were brutally attacked on what is in Eretz Yisrael, both Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah morning. Over a thousand Jews, Rachman and have been massacred and killed, and um, the entire Israeli army has been mobilized to defend our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael and the Holy Land. Um, we hope, we daven, we cry out to the Rabbani Shalom that Jewish people should be safe all over the world and that Hashem should protect the soldiers who are going to the front lines and fighting on behalf of the Yidin in Eretz Yisrael and really on behalf of all Yidin all over the world. And the Rabbani Shalom should please God show miracles and wonders and great Yeshuas for all of Klal Yisrael. Amen. May all those who passed um, find resting in Gan Eden. All those who were brutally murdered find resting place in Gan Eden. May all those who were injured, all those who, who were uh, badly hurt, may they have a speedy refuah. May their families find strength and comfort. And may all of Kali truly be united. Amen. We're going to study today um, a little bit about Parshas Bereshis because this is the Parshashir and the Torah that we study with Hashem's help will be a, a Yeshua and Rachamim for all those, for all of Klal Yisrael, wherever they may be, whoever need it. We'll study a little bit some insights from the Parsha and then with Hashem's help maybe try to draw some inspiration from the Parsha for what's going on in, in today's world. I want to start today with two introductions. Number one, we know, of course, you all know, of course, that in the days of Shloim HaMelech's son, Shloim HaMelech was succeeded by his son, a king named Rehovam. In the days of Rehovam, the Jewish nation was split into two, known as the ten tribes in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael and the, the two tribes in the southern part of Eretz Yisrael. It's a very sad story. Um, it's, it's a very baffling story because the ten tribes, as the, the Medrash and the Gemara talks at great length, the ten tribes at some point just simply seem to disappear off the face of the earth. We don't really know what happened to them. Till this day we talk about the ten lost tribes. Um, not very long, actually, after they split from from uh, from the south of Eretz Yisrael, from Malchus based David, I think about a hundred or hundred and fifty years um, later, they 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 were taken captive. They uh, they seemed to to just disappear. Many efforts and attempts were made to find them over the course of Jewish history, but in general, uh, they yielded no results. The initial the initial break, the initial split that takes place in the days of King Rehovam, again, Rehovam being the son of Shlomo Melech, the split was led by a man named Yerovam, Yerovam ben Avot, who became the first king of these ten tribes. Yerovam was very concerned uh, that this split among the Jewish people would not last. He was afraid that at some point the Jewish people would just reunite um, under Malchus based David, under the kingdom of David and Shloima and now Rehovam. Um, and so he was paranoid, as many, as many evil kings are. He was paranoid that his kingdom was a ticking time bomb. Most particularly, the, the Gomorrah explains to us, he was concerned because of a particular mitzvah. You see, there's a mitzvah for Jews, all Jews who live in Eretz Yisrael, to be Euler Regal, to go up to the base of Mikdash three times a year, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot. Now, Shloim HaMelech, of course, had built and inaugurated the first base of Mikdash, and so now, for all Eden in Eretz Yisrael, there was a mitzvah to go to the base of Mikdash, Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, three times a year. So Yeruvah ben Avot was profoundly concerned that as soon as the Eden are Euler Regal, they'll go to the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash, of course, being in the portion of the land controlled by the other two tribes under the, under the kingdom of, of Rehovah. As soon as the Jews go back, um, the, the civil war, the split among the Jewish people would be over, and they would all unite in the Beis HaMikdash under the leadership of Rehovah. And so the Torah says he placed blockages blockades on the roads from the north of Eretz Yisrael to the south of Eretz Yisrael, 
forbidding and making it physically impossible for the Jews to fulfill this mitzvah of being Eulereg. So now he felt more secure in his position. He didn't feel that it was going to disappear. His, his, his kingdom would disappear as soon as the Jews would be Eulereg because it was both illegal and impossible to be Eulereg. But now, now Yeruvim ben Avot, excuse me, had a different problem. Because he knew the Jewish people were, sensitive, were spiritually sensitive. He knew the Jewish people wanted to serve Hashem. They, they wanted to worship. He knew they were a spiritually charged people. Not being able to go to the Beis HaMikdash was like putting up a, a, a wall in front of a rushing body of water, a dam. You got to release the pressure somewhere. Otherwise, the pressure will build too powerfully and eventually will wash away the dam. So he created, the Torah tells us, an alternative for the Jews in the north who were unable to go to the Beis HaMikdash and serve Hashem there. He created an alternative for them to, to, to engage in spiritual worship in the north. Against the Torah, obviously. He actually created two golden calves and steered the Jewish people in the direction of idol worship. Amazingly, he was successful. And the Jewish people began to engage in idol worship from which uh, things began to fall apart on a spiritual level. As a result, Yeruvim ben Avot becomes known in Jewish history as the icon of both a man who sinned himself and Hechti Yesarabim, the Mishnah says in Pirat Yovis, and who, who facilitated the, the rest of the, the Jewish nation under his, under his rulership for the, that they would sin as well. Yeruvim turned out to be a brute violent, uh, paranoid king who didn't just engage in idol worship but engaged in murder and engaged in all types of sins, um, of course, all led, all, in, all motivated by this terrible paranoia that he had that he would lose his kingdom. As if things were not bad enough, Yeruvim was succeeded by a king called Achov. Achov, also a very famous idol-worshipping uh, uh, Jew, uh, um, murderously violent king who Achav is, is as, as famous as he is for being an evil man his wife is even more in, I should say infamous as infamous as he is his wife is more infamous than him his wife of course was Jezebel uh, who was responsible for killing all of the prophets of Hashem who, who, who at, until that point who were in the north of course trying to motivate the Jewish people to do Teshuvah she, she massacred them all um, her and her husband Achav and Izevel, responsible for furthering, furthering, entrenching uh, the culture and the and the ways of the Jewish people in the in, in these ten tribes in the northern part of Eretz Yisrael, in Avoid the Zora, murdering and massacring all the Devim of Hashem as many as they could, all but one, um, and and uh, in, again steering the Jews away from Hashem. The Mishnah lists Yeruvim ben Avot and Achav, these two individuals, as the icons in the beginning of, of the 11th parak of Sanhedrin, as Elu she'ein lehem abof, kings, kings among the Jews, that do not have a portion in the world to come because of how evil they were, Yeruvam and Achav are listed there. All right. This part is famous. Achav had a son, not so famous. His name was Yehoram. He lived in his days, this, again, this is Achav's son, all during the domain, during the dominion of the ten tribes. This was now in the times of Elisha. Elisha uh, is a Novi of Hashem, the successor of Elioah Novi. Um, Elisha was working to try to get Yehoram, Achav's son, to become a Baal Teshuvah. Um, it seems, as we'll discuss today, he succeeded partially, um, but his, the success was, was mirrored, was convoluted by many other things that were going on at the time. But Elisha worked very hard to try to make Yehoram, this son of Achav, <coughs> third king over the ten tribes of the Jewish people, to turn him into a, to turn him into a Baal Teshuvah. The Torah doesn't tell us much about Yehoram, and most, this king, and most places the Torah doesn't even say his name. But there is one particular story that I want to focus on today that the Torah tells us about this king Yehoram. This story, I'll explain to you, we'll get into why this is relevant to Parshas Breshis.
So this is from Malachim Beis, Perak Vav. The Torah says that in the days of this king, Yehoram, Ben Hadad Melech Arom is called Machaneu. There was a man named Ben Hadad. The Torah identifies him as Ben Hadad, the son of Hadad, who was the king of Arom. Arom was one of the kings, was one of the, the, uh, the monarchies in the Middle East, um, one of the great enemies of the Jewish people at the time. And the king of Arom, the Torah says, Molochim Beis, Peragvov, Posakhov Dalit, gathers together a large camp, a large army. Vayal Vayotzer al Shoimron, and he lays siege over Shoimron. Shoimron, of course, being the north of Eretz Yisrael, the capital of the land of Yehoram, son of Achav, king over the ten tribes of the Jewish people at the time. He lays siege on the land. The Torah says, Vayehi Rav Godl B'Shoimron, there was a great hunger. Famine broke out in Shoimron because there was no food. Because of this great siege was, was upon it, until the price of food became so high, the Torah says that even to buy the head of a chamor, the head of a donkey, was Shmoinim Kesef, was 80 silver coins, um, and how much meat is there anyways in the head of a donkey, and so it was that there was terrible hunger that broke out in the land. Okay. Now this particular hunger that breaks out in the north of Eretz Yisrael, in Shomron, is very famous because of how the hunger ended. How did the hunger end? This is a story that we'll read about in just a few weeks, I believe, in the Haftorah of Parshas Vayera. With a, excuse me, not in Parshas. We'll, 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 we'll read it later on in one of the Haftorahs, where the Torah says that there were four individuals who had saras. Four individuals who had saras, who turned out to be, of course, Gechazi and his three sons. And they're excommunicated from the Jewish people because they have tzaras, because they have what we usually refer to as leprosy of the skin. And they, in, a mo- in desperation, because they're starving to death, these four Jewish mitzvahim, they end up walking themselves into the camp of Aram that's laying siege over the Jewish people. And they discover the entire camp to be completely empty. It's filled with provisions, it's filled with food, it's filled with animals and armor and, and everything, but, but not a single soldier of Aram was left. They had all fled. The Torah says very famously that the Rabbi Shleilam Almighty God had made it sound like a large army was coming to attack them. They thought they were, miraculously, they thought they were outnumbered, they thought they were outgunned, and so they ran, deserting all of their vessels, their clothing, their food, everything. And again, in a long story, which I don't want to get into right now, the, the, these four Mitzrayim come back and they inform King Yehoram that the camp of Aram is completely deserted of people and eventually the Jews go and uh, they help themselves to all of their provisions and food and the Jewish nation is saved. Exactly as Elisha had prophesied at the time. So this hunger is very famous for how it ends. But here, in, this, in these Pesukim, the Torah tells us something apart to the story of the hunger that's not so famous. But, but, but very painful and speaks to the moment of danger, to the, to the terrible difficulties that the Jewish people were in at the time. It says, Again, this is from Malachim Beis. The Torah says, the king of the Jewish people, King Yehoram, is walking by the wall. I'm assuming this means the wall around the city where the siege is laid. And a woman calls out to him and she says, She says, please, my master, the king, save me, save us. And the king assumes, of course, that in starvation, the woman is asking him for food. Vayoymer and the king, Yehoram, responds to her and he says, Al Yoishiach Hashem, if the Rabbeinu Shlalem, if Hashem is not helping you, may ayin oishiach, from where do you want me to help you? Hamin ha-goyren oimin ha-yokev. Hamin ha-goyren oimin ha-yokev. Do you want me to provide you, to save you from the grain or from the vine? The king is being sarcastic here. There's no food. He says, if Hashem isn't helping, what do you want from me? You want me to give you grain? You want me to give you grapes? There's nothing. It turns out, the Torah says, that the woman is not asking the king for food. She's asking the king to bring a friend of hers, a neighbor to a din Torah. You see, I'll spare you some of the details here, but the hunger, the starvation was so bad in Shomron that Rahman al-Islam mothers were, the Jews reverted to cannibalism. 
and they were eating their own children. And this woman who needed the king's help said to the king, I had a deal with my neighbor that we would eat one child on the one day and the other child on the other day. She says, we, I fulfilled my end of the deal and now my neighbor is not doing so. She insists on eating it all herself. She says to the king, I'm not asking you for food. There is food. I'm asking you to, to allow me to bring my neighbor to Dintaira for not fulfilling her end of the deal. And the Torah says, Molochim Beis, Peregvav, Poseglamet, Kishmoya HaMelech HaStivrei Hoisha, when the king hears the words of this woman and he realizes how low the Jewish, the Jewish morale and, and, and the starvation and what it's doing to the Jewish people's bodies, minds, and, and psyches and souls, and he rents his garments, and he continues walking along the wall. And then the Torah says these words, as he rents his garments and tears them open, It turns out, says the Torah, that underneath the king's clothes, he's wearing sack, he's wearing sackcloth, that he exposes as he rents, as he tears his royal garments. And everybody can see that underneath there is sackcloth. Now why is this significant, that he's wearing sackcloth underneath his clothing? Well, it's significant because sackcloth, to wear sackcloth on your skin, under your, under your clothes, was the custom, was the way, was the halacha of Jews who were serving Hashem and were trying to do teshuva. They would put sackcloth, right? We read about this in Megillah's Esther. That Mordechai, in an effort to do teshuva and to arouse the Jews to do teshuva, wear sackcloth. Yehoram is known to be a king who is an idol worshiper. He's wearing sackcloth on the inside. This was an indication that he was doing teshuva. In the words of the Medrash, the Medrash says these words, listen to this. Quote, There was no king among the Jewish people who was as evil as the son of Ahab called Yehoram. Says the Medrash, take a look. What does it say about this king Yehoram? That when he hears that the Jewish people are starving to death, Rahman al-Islam, reverting to cannibalism on their own children. He tears his clothing and the people see that inside is wearing sackcloth because once he saw the Jewish people in pain, he could not contain himself any longer. He still kept up the pretense. He still pretended to be a Russian on the outside. But on the inside, he was doing Teshuvah. And so concludes the Medrash. The Jewish people tell the Rabbi Nishalolam, I am black. I am burned. I am pained, I am tortured, I am persecuted, I am beaten, Rahman al-Islam, on the outside. But v'no'avo, I am still beautiful on the inside. Afal even a king like Yehoram, who was, in the words of the Medrash, the most evil Jewish king that ever existed. Yet when the lakshin hit the fan, when he came face to face with the most gruesome, brutal Tzoros of Klal Yisrael, and he rents his garments on the inside, it turns out, he was already in the process of doing teshuva. That's introduction number one. Introduction number two. The Gemara says in Masech de Brachis that if you take a vegetable, Masech de Brachis daf mem, if you take a vegetable, a tomato, a carrot, well, a tomato is a fruit, right? Bad example. All right, a cucumber, lettuce, and you make on it a boire priho eitz. Says the Mishnah, you're not yotza. Boire priho eitz means fruit that come from a tree. If you take a vegetable and you make a boire priho eitz on it, you're not yotza. Says the Gemara, isn't that obvious? Isn't that obvious that if you make a boire priho eitz on a vegetable, you're not yotza, you have to make another bracha, you don't fulfill your obligation? No, says the Gemara, it's not obvious at all. 
Why not? Well, says the Gemara, I'll tell you why. Because there are three opinions, the Gemara quotes three opinions, as to what exactly is referred to by the Torah when the Torah tells the story that Odom Mauritian ate from the Eitz Hadas. Odom and Chava ate from the Eitz Hadas, the one tree that Hashem specifically instructed them not to eat from. What was it? The Torah doesn't say what kind of a tree it was. So the Gemara says there are three opinions. One opinion says it was a grape. Why? Because, quote, all of the tzoros that befall humanity comes from grapes, which produces wine, which produces alcohol when it ferments and impairs the human being's ability to make rational, healthy decisions. And so all tzoros come from grapes, so it must be that the Eitz was a grape. Second opinion says it was a te'ena, it was a fig. Why a fig? Because when Adam and Chava become aware that they're non-clothed, after they eat from the Eitz they become aware of their own nakedness. The Torah says, They covered themselves with leaves of the fig tree. The Rabbi Shloilam allowed them to cover themselves with the leaves of the very tree that they had sinned from. In fact, the Medrash says very famously, excuse me, that all other trees refused to allow, to allow them to take leaves to cover themselves. The other trees said, no, you weren't supposed to eat from the Eitz in the first place. Only the Te'ena allowed them to, because the Te'ena was the guilty party in the first place. That's opinion number two. By the way, there's a third opinion in the Medrash, the Gomorrah and Brochus does not quote this. There's a third opinion in the Medrash that says actually that it was an Esrug tree. I've never eaten an Esrug. I don't know exactly what it tastes like. The way the, uh, some, sometimes they put them in alcohols are different, doesn't seem to taste very good. But be it as it may, a third opinion says it was an Esrug. And then there is the fourth opinion relevant to our discussion. Says the Gomorrah, Rabbi Yehuda says, it was Chito. Chito means wheat. It wasn't a tree at all. It was actually stalks of wheat. Must be, says the Gemara, that according to Rabbi Yehuda, <coughs> Chita is considered a tree. After all, the Torah speaks specifically when it comes to the Eitz Hadas about a tree, Eitz Hadas. And yet Rabbi Yehuda says it's referring to wheat. Obviously, Rabbi Yehuda considers things that grow from the ground to be trees. And so for this reason, according to Rabbi Yehuda, if you were to take a vegetable and make a bracha, you would be yotze. Because even vegetables, according to Rabbi Yehuda, are considered trees. And so this is why the mission needs to teach us that halacha is not like Rabbi Yehuda, the Gemara says, Trees are trees, fruit trees are fruit trees, things that grow from the ground are vegetables, and so it is uh, that, that chita is not considered, uh, 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 things that grow from the ground are not considered fruit. Although Rabbi Yehuda disagrees. Rabbi Yehuda says no. Even chita is considered a tree, and when it says that Odom Rishon ate from the Eitz Hadas, it says, it means it refers to wheat. Now, what says the Gemara motivates Rabbi Yehuda to learn this? Why does he feel compelled to say that Chita refers to, that the Eitz Hadas refers to wheat? Simple concludes, the, simple says the Gemara, because we have a tradition from the rabbis that a child, Tinoik, a child is unable to articulate the words mommy and daddy, Abba ve'ima, mommy untati. The child is unable to the child doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the ability to, to articulate these words until the child tastes wheat. Only once the child tastes wheat is the, does, the child, does the wheat then have, have this impact on the child that it develops the child's brain to the point that it is able to verbally articulate Abba ve'ima, Tati and Mami. So since the Torah refers to this tree as an Eitz Hadas, we know, says Rabbi, Yochan, says Rabbi Yehuda, of no tree out there that gives a person knowledge. What's this Eitz Hadas business? What, eating, eating grapes makes you smart? Eating figs makes you... We don't find this anywhere. We do find it with wheat. So the Torah refers to this 
tree as an eitz hadas because of its because of its impact on a child. Says Rabbi, the child doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the intellectual prowess to 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 call their mother and father until they taste the taste of dogam. Okay, the Gemara concludes here. And this is I'm quoting here from a Sechta Brachas Daf Mem Amad Aleph. The Gemara concludes here with an actual definition of how to define, how to distinguish things which are considered fruit trees and things which are considered vegetables. How do you differentiate between the two? And the Gemara says, simple. If when you remove the fruit, a branch remains, that the branch will later produce more fruit, then it's considered a fruit. You make boira priyates. But if when you remove the fruit, you remove the entire thing and there's no branch remaining behind, then it's not considered fruit of a tree, it's considered fruit of the ground, and you make a boyer prihadom. That's the way the Gemara distinguishes between the two. And of course, there's many different opinions as to what exactly that even means. Does that mean there has to actually be tree branches? Does that mean there has to be a tree trunk? Is it sufficient if just the roots remain behind? Um, of course, there's many different opinions. As a result of this, you have different arguments about different things, which whether you make ha'etz or ha'adoma, the most famous example, of course, would be bananas. Okay. But there's one more, there's, but the commentaries give one more insight here to explain the shit of Rabbi, to explain the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. How does Rabbi Yehuda say that wheat is considered fruit trees? Fruit of the tree. What do you mean? There's no tree, there's no branches, there's no roots, there's nothing. You harvest the wheat and that's the end of it. How would, would Rabbi Yehuda reconcile referring to this as a fruit? Yes, he has a powerful argument. The Torah refers to it as Eitz Hadas. This is the only thing we find that gives a person knowledge, that impacts a person's intellectual development, granted. But how do you get away with calling it an Eitz? How is it a tree? The commentaries give a fascinating explanation. I'm not a farmer, so I'll, I'll give you my very humble explanation, understanding of what their explanation is, but it seems pretty straightforward to me. Rabbi Yehuda is saying very simple. How do you plant wheat? After you've harvested wheat, yes, there's no branches left, there's no tree trunk left, there's not even any roots left. But how do you replant, how do you re replant wheat? Simple. You take the actual kernels of wheat, you take these very seeds, you put them back into the ground and more wheat grows. So Rabbi Yehuda says, Nusa, that makes it an eitz. That makes it halachically, Rabbi Yehuda argues, considered a tree. You don't need a specific, necessarily a physical branch. You don't need a physical bark. You don't need a physical root. All you need is the ability to reproduce. And so in this sense, Rabbi Yehuda says, all things are considered eitzim. All things are considered trees because everything that grows has within it the, the seeds, the kernels, that you can put it back into the ground and it'll regrow. And so for this reason, it's considered, according to Rabbi Yehuda, an eitz. And since the Torah insists that the tree that Odom and Chava ate from is an eitz hadas, a tree of knowledge, we have to say it was chita, since chita, since grain, has this ability to impact the child's mind and develop it intellectually. Okay. Those are my two points of introduction. Now, if you have a chomish in front of you, open up to Parshish Bereshis, Paragimel, Posuk Tes. So this is from the part of the story in the Torah where Odom and Chava have eaten from the Eitz Hadas. They violated the one commandment that Hashem had given them. One. And according to some commentaries in the Chumash, the Shach Torah, the duration of Hashem's instruction that they may not eat from the Eitz Hadas was only from the time they were created until that night. Because that night, of course, was Shabbos. And Shabbos, they were allowed to eat from all trees. In fact... According to the opinion that says that the tree, that the, the Eitz Hadas was grapes, Odom Rishon was even allowed to pluck the grapes before Shabbos and squeeze them in order to make wine, to make Yiddish over once Shabbos began. But he wasn't allowed to eat from it. When Odom and Chava ate from the Eitz Hadas, and their eyes open, they become self-aware, they become self-conscious. They realize that they're naked. And they hide. Vayikra says the Torah, Peragimel Pasuk Tes, Vayikra Hashem Elohim Elo Adam. Almighty God called out to man. 
Vayoymer Loyan said to him, Ayeka, where are you? Rashi says, of course the Rabbanu Shlolem knew exactly where Adam Rishon was, but the Rabbanu Shlolem was gauging Adam Rishon in small talk. They were making conversation. Ayeka says the Rabbanu Shlolem to Adam, where are you? Adam is hiding. Vayoymer and Adam responds, Shamati Bagon. He says to Hashem, I heard your voice in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden. Vo'ira, and I became fearful, ki manoichi, because I am bare. Vo'echove, and I hid. Vayoymer says the Rabbi Nashalaylam to Odomarishin, Mi higid lecha ki eiremata. How did you come to be in possession of this piece of knowledge? Who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I specifically instructed you not to eat from? The tree of knowledge, the tree of self-awareness. Did you eat from the forbidden fruit? Who told you that you're naked? Did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? Okay, that's the Pasuk. Enter the commentary of the Balaturim. Balaturim, as we've discussed many times, lived about 450 years ago. He was actually the first one to compose, to compile what we refer today as a Shulchan Aruch. He wrote the first original Shulchan Aruch called, actually called the Shulchan Aruch of the Tur. And he also wrote a cryptic, fascinating, divine commentary on Chumash. Says the Balaturim Perektes, Peregimel Pasek Yeralef, Mihigid Lachoki Eirem Ota Hashem says to Odom, who told you you're naked? Hamino Eitz! Asher did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? Says the Balaturim, Hamin. The word Hamin, where the Rabbanishlam says, Hamin ho'eitz asher Did you eat from that tree that I told you? Is it, Hamin, is it from, is it from this tree? Hamin, is it from? This word, says the Balaturim, Gimel Bamasoyrus, appears three times in the Torah. In all of Tanakh, you'll find the word Hamin, Three times. Number one, Hocha. Number one over here. Bereshis, Chumash Bereshis, Parshas Bereshis. Peregimel, Posig Yudalav, Hashem says to Odom Rishon, Hamin ho'eitz asher tzivi sicha. V'idoch number two. Also very famous Posig. This one from Parshas Chukas, Bamidbar Perek Chof. Posig Yud. Moshe Rabbeinu turns to the Jewish people in a moment of desperation. They're desperate for water. They're dying of the well, they're not dying, but they're desperate for water for themselves and their animals. And the Rabbanu Shlolem has told Moshe Rabbeinu to speak to the rock and it will produce water. And Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to the wrong rock and nothing happens. And Moshe turns to the Jews and says, Hamin hasela hazeh noitzi Moshe Rabbeinu says, are we going to be able to produce water for you from this rock? Again, the same word, Hamin, coming from the experience where Moshe Rabbeinu eventually hits the rock instead of speaking to the rock and gets destined not to go into Eretz Yisrael. Again, the word, Hamin. Number three, Malachim Beis, Perak Vov, the story we spoke about before where King Yehoram, son of Achav, the most evil Jewish king in all of Jewish history, in the words of the Medrash, comes face to face with a woman who, who in desperation has reverted herself and her neighbors to Rahman al-Islam, eating their own children. And she turns to him and she says, King, save us, our master, the king. And he turns to her and he says, how do you want me to save you? You want me to save you from the grain or from the grape? I don't have anything to give you. Again, the same word, Hamin. Three times in all of Tanakh, says the Balaturim, we have the same word, Hamin. When Odom Rishon eats from the Eitz Adas, when Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock, 
And when King Jehoram comes face to face with the ugliness of the starvation and the and the suffering and the desperation of mind, body, and spirit of the Jewish people on the most grotesque level. What's the connection between these three? Simple, says the Balaturim. Command Omar, Elon she'ochal odom mimenu, Firstly, says the Balaturim, it supports the opinion of the Gemara, the seemingly difficult to understand opinion of the Gemara, that the Eitz Adas that Odom Rishon eats from is wheat. Wheat? Wheat is not a tree. Yes, says the Balaturim. But the same word, Hamin, which is used here when the Rabbani Shloilam accuses Odom Rishon of eating from it, Hamin O'Eitz, is the same word used later in Molochim, Hamin HaGoyren. Goyren actually means grain. Support for the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda that the tree was chito. That's why the Torah uses the same word, to show you, to support this opinion that yes, even an eitz could be referring to wheat. That's point one. What does this have to do with Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock? And says the Balaturim another point. Just as when Odomarishan ate from the eight sadas and the tree of knowledge, he was punished with death. There too as well, when Moshe Rabbeinu hits the rock, the result is death. I believe the Balaturim is saying that if Moshe had not hit the rock and would have entered into the land of Eretz Yisrael, it would have been really, in essence, a final geula for the Jewish nation. And all those, including Moshe Rabbeinu, who would have entered into Eretz Yisrael, would have lived forever. It would have been, if you will, the coming of Mashiach. But since he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock, death was destined upon him and even upon for all future time until, of course, the coming of Mashiach. So another, another point, now we understand, says the Balaturim, the connection between Hamin Ho'etz of Odom Rishon and Amin Asela of Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock, because in both cases, as a result of their actions, death was introduced into the world. In the case of Odom Rishon, death upon himself and his wife and all of humanity as a result of eating from the tree, and the case of Moshe Rabbeinu as a result of Amin Asela, Misa. Uh, death, the punishment was death for Moshe Rabbeinu himself and even those Jews who would eventually enter, in, enter into Eretz Yisrael. I do not believe that the Balaturim is referring to those Jews who left, Eretz, who left the land of Mitzrayim. They were sentenced to death because of the story of the spies. The story of the spies happens way before the story of Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock. The story of Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock happens at the end of the 40 years. Were it not, were it not for the story of Moshe hitting the rock, I believe the Balaturim is saying, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, would have led the Jews into Eretz Yisrael, they would have built the Beis HaMikdash, it would have been an eternal Beis HaMikdash, it would have been the coming of Mashiach, and that would have been the end of it. Okay. And so again, the Torah uses the same word, Hamin, to highlight the impact of this particular story. Just like by Odom Rishon, the result was death, so too by Moshe Rabbeinu, the result is death. Okay. On a simple level, the Balaturim is making two points. He's explaining to us, again, because the word Hamin appears three times, by the Eitz by the hitting of the rock, and by King Yehoram. So he's saying there's two different points here. One is to support the idea that Eitz was wheat. The Torah uses the same word in the story of the hunger, Hamin HaGoyren, putting the word Hamin next to the word Goyren, which refers to wheat. The other point he's making is that just like by Eitz the result is death, so too, but we find the same by Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe Rabbeinu himself and the entire following generation who go into Eretz Yisrael um, have to face death. They have to experience mortality because of the sin of the hitting of the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Okay. This is what's written here in the Balaturim. Now let's scratch the surface because I think the Balaturim is, is saying something well, of course, the Balaturim is saying something incredibly profound, but I think we can scratch the surface and search for deeper meaning in what he's saying. It's difficult to understand the nature of this conversation between Hashem and Odom Rishon. Hashem comes to Odom Rishon and asks him, where are you? 
Other Mishnah says, I hid because I was naked. Hashem says, oh, 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 who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? All right, Rashi says, as I mentioned before, Rashi says, the Rabbani Shleilam is kind of easing Odom Rishon into the conversation, granted. But what, what, what's, what's really going on here? Hashem is asking him, did you eat from the tree? I mean, Odom Rishon doesn't know that Hashem knows that he ate from the tree. Hashem doesn't know that Odom Rishon knows that Hashem knows that he ate from the tree. What's this, what, what's, what's this whole shtick and, and whole spiel that's going on? Open your hearts. I think there's something... I think there's something very profound going on here. Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz Hadas. They violated the single one instruction that Hashem gave them. How is that possible? Probably the greatest question of all times, granted. But the Torah says clearly that at the moment the snake, the forces of evil, managed to somehow... Uh, uh, sort of get them into some type of ruach shtus, some type of what we would call temporary state of insanity. They were gripped with, with temptation. It overwhelmed them. And they sinned. Okay. Don't know if you've ever made a foolish decision in your life. Don't know if you've ever made a decision that has had really, really bad repercussions. But at the time that you made it, 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 you couldn't control yourself, or I couldn't control myself, or at the time we were wrapped up in, this, in the temptation of this. Uh, the Torah literally uses the word tava. Tava, they were, over, they were lusting. They were lusting for this fruit. And they ate. What's the first thing that happens after one becomes self-aware that they have failed themselves? in the most grotesque and simple way, they fall and pray to the evil snake. What's the first thing that happens to us when we discover that we've let ourselves down, that we've let our spouse down, that we've let our children down? What's the first thing that happens to us? What do we feel when we become aware of the fact that we have seriously and significantly blundered and failed in an Epic proportion. We've let down Almighty God who, sh who created us with his own two hands. We've let down our children and humanity for all eternity. For all eternity they will study this epic failure of ours. What's the first thing that, that possesses us? What, what do we feel when we become aware that in our own way we've, we've, we've let ourselves and everybody around us down and we've failed miserably? One would hope that at that point the Yetzirah, the snake, who's been ha handed such a catastrophic victory, would say, okay, I'm done. I've been victorious. I've succeeded at making the person sin. Finally! One would hope that at that point the Yetzirah would finally leave the person alone. It's not what happens. After the sin and after the failure, that's when the Yetzirah deals the deadliest blow of them all. And it's called Yiyush despondency. It's called giving up. It's called melancholy. It's called righteous indignation where the person looks at themselves and says, I'm hopeless. It's over and it's done. I'm going to crawl into a hole. I'm going to hide myself. I'm going to write myself off as being a failure. Let Almighty God create someone else, start the project all over again, and do it with someone bigger and better than me. I am hopeless. And yet Almighty God calls out to man after he sinned. And the Rabbi Nishlelem says to Odom Where are you? What does that mean? The Rabbani Shleilam is looking for which tree Odom Rishon is hiding behind. He's calling out to Odom Rishon and he's saying, what's wrong with you? 
Yes, you sinned, of course. I, Hashem, created you with the ability to sin. Yes, you've messed up. You've brought death and suffering and pain and misery to all your descendants for thousands of years. But guess what? It doesn't give you the right to be a coward. It doesn't give you the right to be weak. It doesn't give you the right to write yourself off and say I'm worthless and I'm hopeless. How dare you? I'll forgive your sin of eating from the tree of knowledge, says Hashem. You can do teshuva for that. May take thousands of years to fix, but it's worth it. A Balshuva can elevate themselves to a higher level than a tzaddik. But I won't forgive your sin of hiding from me. I won't forgive your sin of declaring yourself worthless. Where are you, says Hashem? Hodem Rishon says, I don't understand. I heard your voice. I heard the voice of the divine ringing in the Garden of Eden. I heard divine divinity. And I felt myself completely unworthy. I'm naked. I hid behind the tree. I hid. I hid doesn't mean I'm not hiding to be found. I hid because I want to be forgotten. Hashem says, what are you talking about? Who told you you're naked? Who told you you're bare? Who told you you're worthless and hopeless? Says the Balaturim. Hamin? Hamin teaches us that it was wheat. Why is that significant? Because when you harvest a piece of wheat, there's nothing left. There's no branches. There's no leaves. There's no bark. There's no roots. There's nothing. A person who looks at it from the outside will look at it and say, this is no tree. This is a vegetable. It's harvested once and it's over. No, says Rabbi Yehuda. No, says the Balaturim. No, says the Rabbani Shalom himself to other Mauritian. You ate wheat. You weren't supposed to. You sinned. Don't look around and say everything is destroyed. But Odom Rishon says, I see no more tree. I see no more branches. I see no more bark. I see no more roots. Everything is destroyed. Hashem says, no, it's not. A piece of wheat can also be a tree. How? Says Odom Rishon. How can a piece of wheat be a tree? Simple, says the Rabbana Shlom. Look at the wheat. You see seeds? Put those seeds in the ground. They will disintegrate. They will grow. And there will be more wheat. Humble yourself. Do teshuva. Leave the Garden of Eden. By the sweat of your brow shall you eat bread. Work. Toil. Teach your children that anything worth something doesn't come to you for free. That will be your teshuva. And humanity will rise again. And the Jews will once again find hope and salvation. They'll become Hashem's chosen nation. They'll go into Eretz Yisrael, they'll build a base of Mikdash. And the world will one day be restored to the holiness that Odom and Chava had in Gan Eden before they ate from the Eitz Hadas. And even higher than that. The wheat that you ate, and Odom Rishon, when he ate it, he thought he destroyed it. When he harvested it, he thought there was nothing left. Hashem says that wheat can give you knowledge. And you can use that knowledge to rebuild and replant. Says the Balaturim, we find this in one more place with Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to speak to the rock instead of hitting the rock. Had he done so, the Jewish people would have gone into Eretz Yisrael. Mashiach would have come and it would have been the end of it. The end, it would have been the end of suffering as we know it. The end of death, the end of misery and pain. Instead, he strikes the rock and, and the Torah uses the same words. Again, Hamin HaSelah. Because once again, the Jews are faced with two perspectives. 
Perspective number one. Oi, gewalt, you know how Jews love to kvetch. Oi, gewalt, this is a disaster. It's over. Moshe Rabbeinu will not go into Eretz Yisrael. The base of Mikdash that will be built will not be built immediately. We'll have to wait 400 years and even then it'll only stand for 400 years and then it'll be destroyed and the Jews will go into Golos. This is an absolute epic failure. If only Moshe Rabbeinu had talked to the rock instead of speaking to the rock, things would be wonderful. And yet always we snatch defeat from the claws of victory. We were at the borders of Eretz Yisrael. We were at the borders of paradise. And once again, everything gets decimated. They could have taken a perspective that all was ruined and there was no hope. Instead, Moshe Rabbeinu charged the Jews, as we read on Simchas Torah. Instead, he tells the Jews, Chazak ve'ematz, strengthen yourself, fortify yourselves, go into Eretz Yisrael, build the base of Mikdash, face everything you have to face, and remember the Rabbon Shlolem will always be at your side. And you'll always emerge victorious. This, I think, the Balaturim is saying, is the real meaning of the story of Odom Rishon. Hashem came to Adam Rishon and said, Hamin Did you eat from that tree that I told you not to? Hashem didn't know. Of course Hashem knew. Adam ate from the tree. Adam ate from it. Chava ate from it. The Rabbani Shalom watched it. He wasn't asking Adam Rishon if he ate from the tree. He was asking Adam Rishon, what are you going to do now that you've eaten from it? Are you going to cower behind your own failure? Are you going to are you going to allow yourself to implode on the inside? If so, Hashem says, if that's what you're going to do, you've missed the whole point. I created you, says Hashem. I gave you the the, the gift of the divine. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps if you have to, and build. Um, yes, says the Rebbe, I'm going to throw you out of Gan Eden, but there I'm going to give you a job, and the job will be to cultivate the world. And to wrestle with the evil that you, Adam Rishon, are responsible for introducing into the world. But that if you wrestle with it long enough, you will be victorious. Okay, I think you all know exactly where I'm headed with this. For reasons we will never understand. For reasons we cannot understand. The Rabboni Shalom allows evil, has allowed, until the coming of Mashiach, has allowed evil to exist in the world. Evil people, anti-Semitic people, violent, brutal, vile, disgusting beasts of human beings. For reasons beyond our capability of understanding, the Rabboni Shalom allows, allows them to exist. And sometimes even allows, us, allows them to hurt the Jewish people very badly. May Hashem protect us. Nobody knows why. Nobody can know why. It's not even the time to talk about why. In every generation, they rise up against us to annihilate us. To annihilate us because we're Jews. To annihilate us because we live in Eretz Yisrael. To annihilate, to annihilate us because... because for the same reason that, 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 that every other anti-Semite throughout all of Jewish history wants to annihilate us. And yes, we were dealt a devastating blow just a couple of days ago. On Simchas Torah, Rachman al-Islam, a Jew looks to the Torah and says, now what? What's supposed to happen now? And here the Gemara says something unbelievable. The Gemara says, Homon min minayin. Where's the source in all of Torah for Homon? Where's the source for Homon? Homon is in Megillah's Esther. Homon is in Megillah's Esther, the one who sentences every Jew on planet Earth to death and annihilation. Homon min minayin. Where's the source? asks, asks the Gemara. It's the same Hamin. Hamin awaits. This is the Gemara answers. Hamin awaits. That's the source of Haman. What's the Gemara trying to say? 
That it's the same words, the same three letters, Amin, Amin. No, says the Balaturim. It's Chito, it's wheat. It's Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock instead of speaking to the rock. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Matzileinu Miyodam. Let's never forget that no matter what Rahman al-Islam we go through, the Rabbeinu Shleilam always saves us from their hands. Always. Let's not, let's remember the Rabbeinu Shleilam's call to Adam Rishon. Don't hide behind a tree. Don't allow yourself to be consumed by guilt and shame, Rahman al-Islam. Instead, stand up and say proud. I am a Jew. I was created by Hashem. I was put into this world for a purpose. The purpose is to be Orla Goyim, a light unto the nations. I will fulfill the shlichus, the mission for which Hashem put me in this world, no matter what comes my way. I have a Yiddish Neshama. I have a Yiddish Neshama no matter what I do, even a King Yehoram, the most evil king in the world, underneath his royal garments responsible for bloodshed and for idol worship. Is a Yiddish Neshama dressed in sackcloth, begging to be close to Hashem? When we read the story of Odom Marishan, this Shabbos in Shul, the first man, the first woman dropping the ball within the first hours of creation, ending up in disastrous repercussions. Don't read half the story. The Palaturin challenges every one of us. Don't read half the story. It's not just a story of the first man and woman who, 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 who ruined everything that they possibly could ruin, ruined it all. That's not the end of the story. Because when it was all over, the Rabbanu Shlolem said, it's all, the Rabbanu Shlolem says, all of that was until now. But now, Ayeka, where are you? Come out of hiding. Now you're challenged with building and bringing healing and bringing comfort and bringing holiness into this world. We, you and I, and every Yid on the face of this earth, our existence is like a sheep surrounded by 70 wolves. This is not a theoretical concept. It's hard to even talk about, but, but, but this is what's going on. Our existence is a miracle. The fact that we're still here, after they keep attempting to annihilate us, not hurt us, not just hurt us, not just kill some of us, to annihilate us completely, and Hashem saves us again and again. Our hearts and our prayers and our thoughts are with every Jewish soldier on the front line who's protecting the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael physically, who's protecting the life of every Jew all over the world physically. Our hearts and souls are with every single Jew who is fighting this war spiritually. As Jews, we remember that the Rabbani Shlolem put us here to be ambassadors of light. For as the Lubavitcher Rebbe used to say, if even a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness, how much more so a lot of light. When things like this happen, it's normal and it's human and it's expected that we experience fear, that we experience a moment of despondency, anger, frustration, profound profound loss and sadness. But then, and then, we close our eyes and we remember who we are. We're Jews and we're emissaries of Hashem and we have no right to hide behind any kind of tree. Instead, the next thing we do is we look for the kernel, the seed, even if it's just one seed of hope that's left within our hearts. We plant it in the ground and the next generation of wheat will emerge.
May Hashem bless all of Klal Yisrael with the end to all suffering and the coming of our righteous Mashiach. Amen.